Absolutely, and the voice you can hear, guys, is Mr. Keith Birchin, who joins us for a game of my life. We're calling this one Birchin82, Hungry Like the Wolf, because, Keith, you were hungry like the wolf, and in that game, you were like a salmon that jumped up and a kestrel when you headed that ball into the back of the net. (laughs) You needed a point for promotion. Three years earlier, you needed a point for promotion. You got promotion with Birmingham City. You got promoted with Norwich. We're going to look at that game in more depth a little bit later on in the podcast. But I want to put some flesh on the bone and we're going to talk about the season. But first, before that season started, you were a Birmingham City player. How did the move to Norwich come about in the August of 1981? Well, um, I think... I had a, I'd had a lot of injury, and um, and if I was really honest, it was the first time that uh, my form had, you know, varied slightly, yeah. and um, you know I'd had I'd had kind of a season of injury, and I'd had a couple of really, you know, really really good season, and uh, it was one of those ends of season where something always goes mad. I mean, we had the same with Birmingham when they played Luton, you know, the last game of the season, when it was all at stake. And the last game for Norwich, everything was all at stake, and it never goes perfectly. Um, And if the truth be known, we didn't win the game. Um, However, an old friend of mine, um, Trevor Weimark, at the time was finishing his career at Grimsby, and he ended up scoring against Leicester. And he was one of my true heroes growing up at Ipswich. He was an absolutely brilliant player. And uh, he'd managed to score for Grimsby against Leicester, at Leicester, which actually catapulted us into the first division, even though we'd been beaten, you know. So you were still at Birmingham in August 81. Yes. Ken Brown was the manager of Norwich. How did the move come about? Did Ken approach Birmingham or was Jim looking for money? Because Birmingham were always looking to sell players for money. How... I think it might have been the money. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, think, I think perhaps because I'd had a quiet season, maybe managers lose a little bit of confidence in you. Yeah. And um, if anything, that probably gave me a little bit of a kick up the backside. And uh, I went to Norwich and came back came back to Birmingham and, um, you know, I scored twice against Birmingham and John Dean scored twice, you know. Yeah. So for Norwich, you know, an ex-Villa player and an ex-Birmingham player put four up against, you know, Birmingham, who were the home team. And uh, it was a very, very good win, you know. Absolutely. And that was the season after wasn't it when you got promoted back to the first division did you have any um trepidation with the move because at Birmingham you were in the first division Norwich City had got relegated the season before and were starting life in the second division like a lot of teams there's a necessity to get straight back up you keep the players together in the olden days but Martin had left he had a in his 
clause in his contract that he could trigger it and leave if Norwich City got relegated. So he did. He went to Manchester City. He did come back uh, later on in that season. We're going to talk about that because I think that was a very pivotal moment. But the season started in South Yorkshire and it ended in South Yorkshire as well, Keith. Rotherham first game of the season. It got off to a good start, but then you got beat 4-1, didn't you? We did. I mean, I, it's very difficult. You have all the stats and figures. I'll lead you through um, it. Yeah. It's a bit cloudy sometimes. Yeah, sure. Game, game obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I do remember, I absolutely love Norwich. Yeah. And I suppose I wasn't expecting to enjoy it quite as much as I did. Yeah. And um, I bought a really nice home down there and I was very happy down there. But I think... Um, you know, dare I say, I might have had a, a flashpoint from time to time. And it normally ended me with leaving with a club. Yeah. I'm sure that happened at Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Jim Smith was contemplating um, bringing in Neil Watmore yes. for, to play with Frank, because I think they played at Bolton together. Yes, they did. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, if he's losing confidence in me, there's no real point in me being there. Yeah. And at the same time, you're quite right, Norwich, Ken Brown I requested to, for me, well, he re- requested, could I go down and see him? And so did the manager. I'm just trying to think of the manager at Portsmouth. Oh, right, okay. And um, all of a sudden, the Portsmouth thing went away. So I went down to Norwich. And uh, when I met Ken, I was really happy to sign for him. I didn't know the area particularly, even though I've been at Ipswich, but that's still 50, 60 mile away. Yes. And um, so it was a bit of a new adventure. And I guess in those days, I kind of enjoyed a new adventure and a new challenge, probably. Absolutely. And it was a it was a bit of a different ball game as well, because plastic pitches had, had just come out, hadn't they? Um, it was also the season, the first season of three points for a win rather than the the, uh, the two previously? Well, I think that was kind of um, one of the one of the hallmarks for me to sort of um, re-galvanise the game. I think the game might have been going through a little bit of a flat spot. Yeah. I think when they decided to um, do the three points, um, changed all the subs over and they were just trying to modernise the game a little bit. Um, and those little changes, I think, kind of galvanised the game a little bit and gave people a fresh interest. Absolutely. Off the pitch, Keith, um, there was a lot going on in 1981. Sadly, in the September of 1981, Bill Shankly died. Only Fools and Horses premiered on the BBC. Uh, Crazy George started the Mexican wave. Uh, in America, and Spain became members of NATO. Mohammed Ali also had his last fight when he got beat by Trevor Burbick. So, off the pitch, there was a lot going on. What was Keith Burcham doing off the pitch in 1981? We knew what you was doing at Birmingham. You were in the rum runner with Frank and, and the boys. But what was the nightlife like in Norwich? Well, rather interestingly, um, it was a little slower place. It was yeah. a little bit slower pace at Norwich. But I'd run into um, a friend of mine. Well, I say he became a friend. He had 
um, a really nice restaurant in Norwich. It was called the Pink Elephant. Okay. And uh, me and me and my wife really, really enjoyed it there, and um, became very friendly with the couple that owned it. Um, yeah, and we spent a lot of time there just having a bite to eat. So it was a different kind of night out, and maybe I was just getting a little older, um, but thoroughly enjoyed good food and a couple of drinks, maybe once in the week and once at weekends. Well, it certainly doesn't hurt. It's a good way of relaxing. You, you Well, you've done that once for Birmingham City with, with Frank when you went out and uh, enjoyed a meal with Alan Kirbysley uh, before you played Chelsea. You did play Chelsea, of course, because Chelsea were in the second division uh, that season. Some of the TV programmes that started, um, Falcons Crest and Dallas, also Bergerac was uh, very popular on the TV and Only Fools and Horses, as I just alluded to, started what a great series. 1981 had an awful lot and it was the start of a new decade as well, wasn't it? The game of football was changing. Well, it was quite sad because mm. TV programmes, you I don't remember much these days. No. But I remember all of them. So, of course, a lot of our time was spent indoors, um, you know, either preparing for a game or recovering from one. Um, so you're quite right. They were really good series. And um, to be sensible because of our job, uh, you end up, you know, looking forward to the TV because it keeps you out of trouble and out of mischief and, and it helps you relax. There were some fantastic songs in 1981 as well. And to this day, Just Can't Get Enough is a terrace anthem for lots of football clubs, certainly Nottingham Forest uh, play whenever they win. But um, what other music was you into? There was 18 number ones that year, Keith, um, during the football season. Just looking down the list, uh, my favourite band, The Jam, Town Called Malice, was number one. Yeah, uh, the right big, yeah, the biggest selling song of 1981 was Don't You Want Me for the Human League. And music was changing as well, wasn't it? The style of music was changing. The guitar bands were really going out. And the synthesised music was coming in. But you'd already seen that happening through Broad Street and the Rum Runner because Duran Duran were the kings of the road, certainly that part of the road in Birmingham wasn't they? Well I remember I remember being in Spain I'm sure it was probably Ibiza yeah and there were a couple of young kids who were in a dare I say discotheque that sounds yes. very dated <laughs> they're great in, places where we where we were they were open all night yeah and uh, there were two young kids and I think they were trying to get a record launched Later on that evening, we bumped into them and we were in a discotheque that filled up with water, you know, about three or four in the morning. You know, there was a, it was a, a kind of a, a guarded off area of about three foot and uh, it must have been like waterproof-ish. And uh, anyway, it started to fill up with water. We thought we were drunk, you know. Uh, anyway, I bumped into this one kid and, and knocked him and he fell in the water and I picked him up it was George Michael. Blimey. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, and they were releasing an album. I think it was their first album. I think it was called Hotel Tropicana. Right. And, uh, yeah, they were both over there. So funny who you bump into. 
funny who you knock into the water as well, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> you nearly you nearly drowned one of the greatest pop icons of the eighties in Ibiza. I'd have really been cross. I'd have really been cross with myself. I got to tell you. Absolutely, uh, Charlton Athletic. You played Charlton in the cup. I'm bringing that game up because, again, TV was changing slightly. There was conversations that they wanted to take it onto another level in the mid '80s. There was talk about ITV. We started having more than the FA Cup final and the odd England match live on TV. And that was pretty much the advent then in 1992 of the Premier League. But Alan Mullery was manager of Charlton in the League Cup game that you played. And it was mic'd up. It was one of the first of its time where you had the microphone on the manager in the dugout and you watched what he was going through. And and, and that, that, again, was groundbreaking, wasn't it? Have you any memories about the cup tour that you played and the cameras being there for that game? You know what? I wouldn't. I wouldn't have known it was Alan Mullery. Mm, yeah. I watched him. I watched him as a young boy when he played for Tottenham. Yeah. And um, he was like one of my heroes. That that team, you know, over, over the years, we'd go to Tottenham one week and and Arsenal the next. When I was just a sm- young boy, and uh, I saw some great players. And obviously, in that team, with Mullery was like Alan Gilzine and Jimmy Greaves, Jimmy Robertson. You know, um, Pat Jennings, when it's one of my greatest moments when I managed to stick one past Pat Jennings from quite a long way out. And by this time, he was playing for Arsenal. And um, probably one of my proudest moments, only because I was a super fan, because I thought he was such a fantastic goalkeeper. Um, I think he actually said to me at half-time, I'd appreciate if he didn't do that again, <laughs> um, which was just typical of him. And, uh, of course, I was just happy to be on the same pitch as him, you know. It was a fantastic goal, one of your great goals. If I'm going to roll the clock forward to about 1990-91, that goal you scored for Aldershot was pretty smoky as well, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well... Delicious. I really, was, I really was at the end of my career. Yeah. And um, I don't know if it was a header or one I hit with my left foot. It was your left foot, mate. Yeah. The and, one I'm uh, talking about. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes they drop for you and old habits die hard and you just hit it. You know, more often than not, they went over the, they went over the stadium. Um, but one or two, you know, hit the target. And, uh, and so, yeah, more lucky for more lucky than, than anything else but uh, if you don't if you don't take a shot you know you don't score do you so you certainly I mean, don't anywhere, anywhere you know 25 30 yards out if i thought i could let rip i probably would try and do so you know absolutely uh, did you let rip on your first visit to the plastic pitch at qpr have you any memories of that keith uh, october the 10th it was you played qpr away you got beat 2-0 in the league but they just installed a plastic pitch hadn't they in those early days i do remember the first game um i think uh, people like simon stainrod yeah there were a lot of good they had a lot of good footballers and they whizzed the ball around yeah. really quickly. And um, it was almost unfair because they knew how to play on it and we really didn't. Yep. yep. And so we felt a little bit aggrieved. 
and uh, I think we went back the promotional year. We went back the promotional year when we got promotion. And I think we, we may have got beat 1-0 because Alan Kerbyshire remembers particularly, he tried to play a clever little pass that didn't actually work out, which got intercepted. And they went through and scored. Mm -hmm. And Jim Smith had words to say that I can't explain or I can't repeat. <laughs> but need, needless to say, things weren't great. <laughs> and uh, I think it was a week or so later we were playing West Ham um, in London. And we managed to score, I think I scored um, the second goal in injury time. And, um, and it was a massive win for us. And I think it was the game before Notts County, um, which was another, you know, incredibly exciting year at Birmingham, as, as was Norwich, that, you know, the year we're talking about. Because you did have two promotions. There wasn't back-to-back, -back, but the one was uh, 79-80 season. And then the other one was 81-82 season. Um, and and as I alluded to earlier, you, you needed a draw on the final days. How difficult is that when you're going into a game that, that you need a draw? You don't play for a draw. Surely you, you go for the juggler and you try and win and... And sometimes if you fall a little bit short, you still get what you needed and what you came for. Well, we also had a, a very, very excitable manager, Smith. Yes. And he was very ambitious. And he absolutely would give you anything if you won. And he'd take it all back off you if you lost. However, it was all very clear. Win, no trouble. Lose, big trouble. So at least the message was fairly clear. And um, although we'd messed up a little bit at QPR, it was only a week or so later, I think, we went to West Ham and, uh, and won. And then that put us in really good position. I think we had to either win or draw against Luton um, to get back into the first division. So it wasn't all <laughs> it wasn't all smooth, plain sailing, to say the least. But um, we had some really good players, you know, Frank, Archie, Colin Todd were the older type of players. And then the younger ones were like some Mark Dennis, Kevin Dillon, Kerbishley, myself, Alan Ainscoe. We had some really, really good players. And... Um, you know, it was it was a great time to remember back on because it was all so exciting, you know, and, uh, and it all ended out with the right result, which was the, the most important thing of all. Absolutely. A 3-3 draw with Notts County on that final day. I remember that very well. I was there. <laughs> what was your teammates like at Norwich? What was the dynamics like there? You That was the squad that you had at Birmingham. But um, what, what were the Norwich team like um again getting relegated i'm guessing that morale wasn't that great and and how did ken uh, differ from from jim jim was very fiery and at birmingham it was very fiery what was ken brown like as a manager and your players your, your teammates well the one thing i would say about the two of them that was a bit similar they could pick a player yes I think it was in those days it was more, it was less tactical. Obviously, you had a way of playing. Mm -hmm. Norwich had a certain style, and Ipswich and Birmingham had a certain style that weren't miles apart, to be absolutely honest. Yeah. Um, but I talked about the older brigade in Birmingham. Well, if you like, we had equally fabulous players of um, who were in their evergreen stage. You know, they had Martin O'Neill. Yep. 
we had Mick Shannon, who was a really great, great guy. And um, it was a wonderful advert for enjoying football. And um, there was no one loved playing more than him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was Martin O'Neill, uh, Mick Shannon. Mick Maguire was beginning to get evergreen. He was a great, he was a great lad in the dressing room and a great um, guy on the pitch in midfield. He was a terrific boy. And, uh, and of course, then we had my old pal John Dean from Aston Villa. Dave Watson and Steve Walford were youngsters, but doing really, really well. Um, we had Chris Woods in goal. It was a really, really good side. Um, and Greg Downs and Paul Haylock were two, two fullbacks. So, as I say, you know, it's like, I don't know how many years ago, 40 years ago, but mm-hmm. I can still reel off the team as if it was yesterday. Absolutely. Greg Downs, didn't you used to call him the milk tray man? <laughs> <laughs> I think one or two people called him duck downs. <laughs> but no, he was a good lad, Greg, and um, he ended up, I think, uh, going into the police force, as we all did something different yes. after football in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he could play. Goodness me, he could play. And uh, we had a brilliant left winger, but it was the white Dave Bennett. Yes. Um, not to be mixed up with the Coventry lad. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously Dave and Gary Bennett. I played with Gary in Sunderland. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the Norwich Dave Bennett was a really skillful player. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed his company very much. And he he actually probably put the ball on my head for the goal that you talked about, Sheffield Wednesday. How about the fella Barham? That he was the, uh, the the other winger, wasn't he? Whenever I've Mark seen Barham. clips, yeah, when I've seen clips of him, he, he looked a bit useful on his day. Very good. Yeah. And um, I think he played. I think he played once or twice for England. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, it was a handful. He was, you know. He was quick. He moved the ball quick. He had great technique. Um, we had a good team. I mean, yeah. I was very, very fortunate because I loved all the Birmingham teams that kind of, I really feel that the first year, 18 months, there was one team at Birmingham. And then by the time I got back from injury during my second season, which would actually have then been my third season at Birmingham, we had almost a completely new side. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to play in both. And then going to Norwich, again, it was a new set of players, but equally talented. And um, it meant that we could have a certain amount of success. Did you, I mean, you forged that great partnership with, with Dixie. Um, yeah, of course, he was a, a Villa legend in, in 19, was it, 76, 77 season, uh, partnered up front with both um, Brian Little and Andy Gray, and I think between them scored over 60 goals. They were quite fantastic. Dixie was quite fantastic. But it was in the December of 81. You was already there, wasn't you? And then Dixie Dixie arrived. What was that dynamic like between you and him? Did you know each other from, um, obviously, the Birmingham City and Aston Villa uh, derbies and uh, living in the area? Yeah, We did, and I think he'd had... Um... A little bit of an awkward time at West Brom. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He'd gone, he'd gone for a lot of money. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And um, I think he actually 
approach Norwich a little bit like I did. It was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. It was out of the way. Mm. And uh, it probably wasn't quite as intense as Midlands football. Yeah. And to be quite honest, I remember when he came and we were playing, we were playing a friendly game because everywhere was snowed off. Mm. And we'd got him sort of, it must have been around about Christmas, January time. Yeah. And uh, in this friendly game, I think he scored three or four goals. Mm. And everyone went, oh my God, yeah. you know, who is this kid, you know? And to be quite honest, he didn't look back from there. Mm. And he, he came up with a lot of goals for Norwich. Um, and he played kind of, it was, the first, it was quite brave really of Mel Machin or Ken Brown and Mel Machin. They played like three centre forwards. They played me and Shannon. And they played Dixie as a, like a number 10. Yeah. Who he'd do a certain amount of work in midfield, but was always looking to join us in the box quite quickly. Yeah. And um, he got a lot of goals that, that particular year um, and became very, very, very popular. Uh, and he was a really good player, I have to say. He was a really good player. He did used to annoy me, though, because I'd get through and and probably avoid two or three tackles and then finally get smashed. <laughs> then he'd pick the ball up and just knock it in the goal. And as he used to walk past me, you know, with my shins hanging out, my shin pad, he'd say, oh, another goal for me then. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the ball for about 20 minutes. I'm about to knock it in and I get smashed. And he runs up behind me, kicks it in, he goes, oh, oh, another goal for me. And he thought he was the funniest person in the world, you know, and I'm laying there like half knackered. Um, but no, he was a, it was a really, he was great to anticipate where he thought the ball would land. And for two or three seasons, um, he was very, very confident at uh, getting sort of, I don't know, 15, 20 goals, yes. uh, which made him very valuable. Absolutely. Um, a player that was very valuable for West Bromwich Albion, you went there in the uh, fifth round of the FA Cup in your promotion season, was Cyril Regis. And the goal that Big Cyril scored on that day, 13th of February 1982, was goal of the season. Again, another Midlands legend who uh, who was a bit tasty, wasn't he, Big Cyril? Oh, and... I remember he, he turned um, Dave Watson. Yeah, yeah, he and, did. Uh, David was playing particularly well and went on to have a million seasons at Everton and mm -hmm. sort of became folklore or, you know, legendary over there. Um, but Cyril was very, very strong. And uh, he's a, he was a great friend of mine, as it turned out. And um, I, was very, I was very, very fond of him. And uh, no, he was a proper, proper bloke and a proper player. And uh, at the time, it was very in vogue. You know, there was him, Laurie Cunningham, yeah. Brendan Batson. And the one thing they all had in common, they were all good players. Yes. Really good players. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, it was quite good, really. I hadn't realised until I got there. But on a Saturday night, you know, we'd somehow cruise into Birmingham and there'd be a few of the Coventry lads there. There'd be a few West Brom lads. And in the end, we're all talking and having a drink and talking about the weekend, you know, talking about the Saturday games. And uh, 
Oh no, it was absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a little bit more fierce when we were playing against each other. Of course. But when it, but when it was finished, the amount of times we bumped into, you know, the various players um, from all the Midlands clubs that incidentally were all in the first division at the time, you know, and uh, I think Andy might have opened a club around about that time. So we'd all meet there. Yeah. And uh, so it was a real den of iniquity uh, for um, for the Midlands teams and and a good good night had by all. And I guess that's the difference in the Midlands. We had so many teams in close proximity. The local derby, of course, for Norwich City was Ipswich. What other games did you play that, that was, you know, they got a bit on them, gets a bit feisty? It was a little bit of a local derby. Not too close, but still, you know, the fans were up for it because there's nothing like a local derby. And when you're playing in Birmingham or, or London, you are a little bit spoilt for the amount of clubs that, um, that are close to you. Well, I remember it wasn't Norwich to begin with, but I remember one of my first derbies was, um, I'm sure someone would say, well, you must have played Ipswich and Norwich. Well, I can't remember because I was just on the fringe of the Ipswich team and um, yes, I was younger in those days. Mm. But, you know, the first Birmingham derby between the Villa and Birmingham, was a huge game and I had no idea that it was the size of a game that what it was and um, I, it was the first sort of idea I had that wow you know Midlands is a really really big footballing area because I had no idea that the derby was so um, huge and um, and there was never much football played but it was always about the result. Absolutely. They are, by definition, not the greatest spectacles to watch. Not always, but, no. but by do they, they the challenges are flying in and they are very, very difficult. And to listen to the rest of this podcast, head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash SRB Media. Thank you.